Well, church family, it is good to see all of you here today. I want to welcome you to Alliance Christian Fellowship and uh, glad you've chosen to worship with us here this morning. If, uh, if you're new, if you're joining us here for the first time, a special welcome to you. My name is Dan Min, and I serve as the pastor here at ACF, and we just want to say, man, we're thrilled that you're here, and uh, I'm, I'm extra thrilled that, uh, you know, we, we here at ACF, we, you know, we're, we're kind of a weird anomaly, a weird campus ministry, because we're also a church here on campus that uh, gathers the collective people of God on, on the campus of Penn State, uh, folks who are looking for a place to worship and uh, our doors are wide open to literally anyone and everyone that might be looking for a place uh, to call home, home base, uh, their home church here at campus. And uh, you know, just a, a special thing that we have here to be able to have, you know, uh, some, some folks from different campus ministries, Robert from NAVS helping us lead in worship and, and uh, Joe from ACF. And, uh, you know, thank you team for leading us here today. Hannah and Elena, thanks team. It is good to be gathered together. And as, as, I, as I prayed just a few moments ago, I pray that uh, in the ways that God was ministering to us through music and through song, I pray that, man, God would speak to us through his word here this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're going to be spending our time here today. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, you can refer to the handout you received on your way in, or the text will be up on behind me on the screen here in just a few moments. But um, here at ACF, we've been working through this series, um, through the book of Ephesians, and, and we're calling this series Rooted and Grounded, Rooted and Grounded, and we're exploring what it looks what it looks like to live more rooted lives, lives that are not so easily uprooted by the circumstances or situations that we find ourselves in or uprooted by the opinions of others and, and, and thoughts of others. We want to learn how to be more grounded in our faith, grounded in our walks with God, where, you know, when life has thrown us all over the place, we want to learn how to live more rooted and grounded. And so far, uh, if you've been tracking with us, we, we've looked at Ephesians chapter one where Paul talks about our spiritual inheritance. He says every spiritual blessing has been made available to you in Christ Jesus. And then we also talked about Paul's prayer, uh, Paul's prayer where he prays that the eyes of our hearts might be opened, right? That we might know the hope that we have in Christ alone. And then we moved on to chapter two. And in the first half of that chapter, we discovered the beauty of God's grace. We, we sang about it here this morning, the beauty of God's grace and how it turns around our every worst case scenario. It doesn't matter what kind of crappy day you're having or a week you're having, what kind of worst case scenario you might be facing, the grace of God is sufficient to turn around our every worst case scenario. And last week, we looked at how God was and is still today in the process of creating a new family out of all peoples, all nations, all backgrounds of every tribe and every tongue. He's doing a work of peacemaking and reconciliation between people groups. By the way, if you missed any of these messages, these are all posted on our website, www.acfpennstate.org, or you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find them there and catch up on your own leisure. But today, we get into chapter 3. And today's passage if I can just speak honestly, might not seem like a significant passage at first glance. Uh, and when you look at the greater work of Ephesians, or even just, just the Bible as a whole, today's passage might seem like not a very significant portion of Scripture. And if you're anything like me, you might come to a passage like the one we're going to look at today, and you're going you're to be like, 
yeah, there's not much in here for me, so I'm going to move on and jump to the next passage. But as we read through, I want you to hang tight because I think there are some things that God has for us as the people of God here today uh, that are significant for your spiritual journeys and mine. And so I'd love to take another glance at Ephesians 3, picking up at verse 1, and we'll carry through to verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Pause right here. As we read this passage, you might might gain a bit of the sense of what I was referring to just a a moment ago. Like you read this passage, you're like, "There, there, there sounds to be some pretty promising things there, but... Really, what is Paul saying? What what in the world is he talking about? Well, there there are a few things I'd like to point out and clarify even before we dive and do a deep dive into this text. Paul here, I want you to notice, he opens up this passage in a very odd way. I mean, it's it's odd. It's it's not odd in the way that, like, this is kind of how Paul speaks and how Paul writes, you know, like he, he introduces himself and, 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 you know, says, hey, this is, this is the position and the posture in which I am speaking from. And, and so in that sense, it's not very odd, but, but I want you to notice the very first verse of this chapter opens up for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, dot, dot, dot. Now, some of your translations might have not have a dot, 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 but that, that, that's essentially What's happening here? There's a dot, dot, dot. Now, if you try to follow Paul's logic here, if you try to follow Paul's thought pattern here, you're going to have a really hard time. Because what you find is that Paul never actually completes his thought here from verse 1. He he literally stops mid-thought right here in verse 1. One, you know, my wife actually accuses me of doing this all the time. You know, like, it, you know, for, for me, usually I've got a, a million different things going on in my head. And, and on any given moment, I'll, you know, I'll just start saying something to my wife. I'll say, hon, you, you know, it, it occurred to me. And then I'm just gone. I'm like in a different place. Like, I'm, I'm, just, there, there are times when I'll literally say, you know what, babe, I, I, I was thinking... And I literally walk out the room. I mean, like, I just, I'm thinking about a million different things. And, and my wife's like, 
what occurred to you? I mean, she's like, you know, it, it, it bothers her, and I'm not trying to troll her or trying to, you know, annoy her. That's just, I've got a million things, and I just jump from thought to thought, and, and it just kind of happens to be that way. And in some ways, that's kind of what's happening here with Paul. Paul begins a thought, but never actually completes his thought. That is, until verse 14. Now, we didn't read verse 14 in today's passage, but in four, verse 14, he says, for this reason, does that sound familiar? He, he opens up in chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of, of Christ, and he goes on, and then he never completes his thought and then picks up that very same thought in verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. We're not going to go into verse 14 today. That's for next week. But you see, Paul was starting to pray for the Gentiles. You see, in chapter 3 and verse 1, we begin to see that Paul was actually starting to offer a prayer for the folks in Ephesus, for the Gentiles in the, in the Ephesian church. And as he's praying, he gets distracted. I got good news for you folks. If you ever find yourself getting distracted during your prayer time, that's okay. Even the Apostle Paul got distracted. Squirrel. I mean, like he's praying and he's like, oh, you know, I'm praying for you Gentiles. You know what? Come to think of it. I want to I talk to you Gentiles about something real quick, right? And, and he goes on and he talks about the mysteries of Christ being revealed. And, and, and he actually tells us what that mystery is. He doesn't leave us hanging because in verse 6 he says, this mystery, ready for this, is this. It's that you Gentiles are now fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, this is a summation of last week's passage that we looked at. And so we're not going to unpack that concept here. But, but real quickly, I want you to notice this term mystery. This term mystery shows up several times in today's passage. In fact, some of your headers on top of your, this part of the, the, the passage might read, the mystery of the gospel revealed. Right? Sounds real ominous, right? Like the mystery of God uh, revealed, the mystery of the gospel revealed. But this mystery, I want you to clar just clarify this. The word mystery here isn't implying something that is unknowable. You know, it's not saying like this is a mystery that you will never know, that you will never know about, because God has made it clearly known to us through this verse in verse 6 what the mystery of the gospel is, right? Again, we're not going to unpack that, but additionally, the mystery, this word mystery, also doesn't imply that God was somehow hiding his plan from us. It's not, the mysteries of the gospel is not like, this is my secret that I'm keeping in secret and that I'm keeping mysterious, because the truth is, we see glimpses of this plan all throughout the Old Testament prophecies. He reveals this mystery and unfolds his divine plans in his perfect timing, and so this whole mystery talk that we see in this passage is not meant to be mysterious or foggy for us in any kind of way, but rather the mystery is to show God's divine activity in our humanity. That's what this mystery is referring to. The mysteries of the gospel, the mystery of Christ here is referring to the work of God, the plans of God, the unfolding of God's divine will and his purposes for all of humanity. That's the mystery of the gospel that Paul is referring to. Now, with all that said, you might still be saying, okay, that's, that's cool. Thanks for that. But 
I'm, I'm still not understanding what this passage has anything to do with my life today. I'm not understanding what this passage has anything to do with where I am today, because in a lot of ways, understanding all of what we just talked about thus far, this passage might seem like a tangential talking point that Paul is looking to have with a group of Gentiles in Ephesus, right? It's like he starts praying for this group of people, by the way, which is like, he's not, he's not really praying for us. He's praying for the Ephesians, the Gentiles. And then he starts talking to this group of people. And it, in some ways, it can feel like we're eavesdropping on a very personal thought that Paul is trying to share with a group of people that incidentally is not us, right? And, and so when we feel like that, it says, this has nothing to do with us. And so we move on and we read on. But I would argue, friends, I would argue that there are some very important theologies embedded in these verses that I want to I want to try to pull out here for the remainder of our time. And there are two particular theologies that I want to address that I think has a great level of significance for your life and mine here today. And I'll take us through these two real quickly. The first theology is the theology of grace. The theology of grace. Now, we talked about grace a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at Ephesians 2, right? We, we discovered the, the wonder and the beauty of God's grace and, and how, you know, Paul was telling us that grace is not about our trying, our efforts, or our striving, right? You know, this, like, grace is, is not about us, but it's about God's unmerited favor that he gives to us, not because of anything we've done, not based on our merits, but simply because of who God is and his nature, his character. We talked extensively about that. But then we get to today's passage, and we see that Paul uses the term grace yet again, but he uses it a little bit differently. He, he uses the term grace a little bit differently than he did back in chapter 2. In chapter 2, Paul was all about the grace of God that he lavishes upon us, right? Like we, we talked about what the grace of God does and how it impacts our lives. And then we get to today's chapter and in verse 2 of today's passage, we read, You have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And then in verse 7, he says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. And then he goes on, and then in, in the preceding verse, in verse 8, he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, this is interesting, because the ways in which Paul is talking about grace here seems fundamentally different than when he was talking about it in chapter 2. You see, here in chapter 3, when Paul is referring to grace, he's talking about it as a stepping stone towards ministry. He's talking about it as, a, as an avenue that would take us down the road towards ministry. In other words, true grace might start with God. Grace isn't about us, right? We already established that. The grace, the grace of God has nothing to do with our efforts or our work. It's not work-based. The grace of God is freely, it's God's unmerited favor that he gives to us. And so the true grace it might start with God, but don't mistake this. It does not end with us. The true grace of God, true grace is not simply our receiving of God's grace, but it continues on in the administering of God's grace. It continues on. Paul says, I am, a, I am stewarding, I am managing the grace in which I received. 
You see, the grace of God is, he says, it's called me and enlisted me to become a minister of the gospel. It has, set, it has launched my life into a life of ministry. It's because of this grace that I preach to the Gentiles in the first place. You see, the grace of God does not find itself ending with us. Rather, the grace of God finds itself working through us and through our lives in reaching all people with the gospel. That's true grace. That's the outworking of God's grace in our lives. But then the question remains, what does that practically look like? I get, I get, I get what it looks like to receive the grace of God and, and receive it as a free gift, and I'm thankful for that. I can sing about that. I can praise God for that. But what does it look like to be a minister of God's grace, to be someone who, who goes out and reaches people with the grace of God and with the gospel? What does that practically look like? Well, one place in Scripture that accompanies this theology of grace well is in 1 Peter chapter 4. You don't need to turn there. Uh, we'll, we'll put the uh, text up here on the screen behind me. But I want you to listen to what 1 Peter chapter 4 says. Peter he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Now get this, as good stewards of God's varied grace. It's almost like Peter and Paul got in a room together and talked about, like, how are we going to unpack this concept of grace? Right? How, what is this theology of grace? Surely it can't just be that we are saved by grace through faith. Yes, that, that is fundamental. That is a core tenet of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But surely it can't end there, right? And so he goes on, Peter's like, as good stewards of God's very grace, all right, working through the people of God, whoever speaks, let him speak as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Friends, if you're here today and you are a, a, a professing believer in this faith, if you are someone who says, I walk with Jesus, I live with Jesus, and you've got the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, friends, you got to hear me, you have gifts that God has given you. You have talents that God has blessed you with. You have resources and abilities that God has uniquely put into your life for this season and for what purpose? All for the glory of God. All for the glory of God. No matter how big or small, now, now I don't have time to unpack this. You know, in fact, here at ACF, we've done some teaching on spiritual gifts and, and, and identifying those particular areas in which God has uniquely wired us, gifted us, and, and designed us. But no, no matter how big or small your gift might seem in your eyes, Scripture seems to point out that we ought to use it all. Use it all for the glory of God. You see, a proper theology of grace will begin to open our eyes to God's ability to use our everyday moments to point people to Jesus. And so if it's, if it's grocery shopping, if it's working at your local Starbucks, if it's having a conversation with a friend, if it's working on a project or an assignment with a classmate, all of a sudden these moments no longer become mundane everyday activities, but rather these become opportunities to steward God's varied grace. It allows us to step into those ministry moments to administer the grace of God and point all glory to Jesus and point people to Jesus wherever we are and whatever we're doing. 
As people who have freely received, so we freely give. That's the theology of grace. As people who have freely received the grace of God, so freely we give the grace of God. That's the proper theology of grace. There's a lot more that I can unpack there, but for the time being, I'll leave it at that. I want to jump into this second theology that this passage seems to indicate for us, and that's the theology of hardship. The theology of hardship. And boy, if we can get this one right, we would all be better off in this life. Because the truth is, we all face hardships. The last I checked, none of us were exempt from facing hardships on this side of heaven. In fact, the whole premise of this series is how do we withstand the hardships of life in a way that doesn't, that doesn't uproot us or unground us, right? How do we handle the difficulties and challenges of life in a more rooted and grounded way? And one of the ways we do that is by developing a healthy, robust theology of hardship. But how do we do that? How do we develop a theology of hardship? Well, I want to give you three ways here this morning based on what we see in this passage. The first is this. You need to clarify your purpose. You need to clarify your purpose. If you notice today's passage, it's bookended from beginning to the end. It's bookended with Paul's reality as a prisoner. He starts off by identifying, hey, this is my situation. This is my circumstance, right? He opens up by acknowledging his imprisonment, and then he ends it with his suffering as a prisoner. He identifies and acknowledges his suffering as a prisoner. He's writing this letter to the Ephesians, for those of you who don't, uh, aren't aware of the context here, while he's under house arrest in Rome. And the reason for his arrest is actually, it's, it's embedded in this whole passage. The reason for his, his arrest is, is actually woven into the very messaging of this letter to the Ephesians. He was preaching this message of inclusion of all Gentiles into the family of God. Long story short, the Jewish leaders saw this as a threat to the Jewish community, and so they convinced the Roman officials to arrest Paul for treason and causing a rebellion against the Jews. But the way Paul saw it, Paul saw it very differently. You see, Paul saw this as his very soul life purpose. He, he's like, God has called me to this thing. God has called me to preach this message, the mysteries of Christ to the Gentile nations. This is the reason for my existence. This is my purpose. And church, let me tell you, when you get clear on your purpose, the hardships that come your way won't end up sticking to you. They'll end up just rolling off your back. They'll, they'll, because at the end of the day, you got to hear me, purpose always trumps hardships. Purpose always trumps hardships. And, and Paul was crystal clear on his purpose, which is why this passage, if you notice, it's not filled with Paul complaining about his imprisonment. Paul didn't, chapter 3 is not about Paul being like, hey guys, I'm in prison for you. I hope you're happy. I hope, I hope this is all worth it. You know, Paul's like, you know, I'm struggling here. I'm suffering here. I want you guys to know about this. You know, he's, it's not filled with him complaining about his situation. Rather, this passage is filled with purpose language. For this reason, God has called me to this. Uh, this gospel, God has called me to this. This is my purpose. Friends, I wonder how many of us have a clear sense of our purpose, our why, why, why are we here? What in the world are we doing here? Well, why, why is God 
placed me on this. There's there's got to be a reason for my existence. You see, as long as that's fuzzy in your life, when the hardships and challenges come knocking on your door, I'm telling you right now, I I don't know that you're going to have the kind of foundation to withstand some of the beating of life's challenges. But when you get clear on your purpose, purpose always trumps hardships. No matter what comes your way, no matter how hard life might get, if you get clear on your purpose, your why, I'm telling you, there aren't a whole lot of trials that will end up rocking your world. Because your why is clear. Friends, clarify your God-given purpose. But number two, adjust your confidence. You need to adjust your confidence. We need to be people who adjust our confidence. Now, what do I mean by that? I want you to notice in verse 12, Paul says, in whom, this is Paul's talking about Jesus, in Christ, we have boldness and access, right? We, we sang about that. We prayed about it, right? Like uh, in Christ, we have this access, but it's with confidence through our faith in him. We have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Now, friends, now when I say adjust your confidence, what I'm talking about is moving from a modern way of confidence to a gospel way of confidence. Moving from a modern way of confidence to a biblical way of confidence. You see, the modern way of confidence is rooted in none other than self. Self-confidence is the key, right? Like self-confidence is key. So when it comes to dealing with hardships in your life, what do you do? The answer is you handle it, right? You handle it. Like you you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and and you get her done. Like you do what you need to do to, to, to push through. Don't tell yourself you can't do this. Be confident in yourself. Be confident in your abilities. You can do this. Now listen. While I love a good motivational speech, you know, from anyone uh, you know, out there, like much like anyone else, the gospel of Jesus seems to suggest something fundamentally different. You see, the gospel says our confidence is ultimately not in self, but in him. Our confidence is not in us, but it's in him. We have confidence through faith in him. Now, what that means is we trust that God is going to pull us through this situation. God is going to get us through this hard time. We don't try to work our way out of the messes of our lives through our own sense of ingenuity or our own intellectual prowess. We put our trust, we put our faith, we put our confidence in the God who is able to pull us out of any and all hardships. Our confidence at the end of the day is in him, not in me, not in self. Now, You want to know the other side of this coin? The other side of the modern way of confidence is an overwhelmingly low sense of self-confidence. I see this time and time again. You see, some of us don't struggle with self-confidence. We struggle with no confidence. It's like, I, I, don't, I don't have what it takes at all to get through these hard times, right? Like, and so when hard times hit us, man, it hits us hard. And we get knocked down on our back. And we have a really just a, a difficult, a near impossible time getting ourselves back up on our feet. Forget this whole narrative of like, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and get her done. Like, I don't even have bootstraps. I don't even know what you're talking about. I, don't, I get zero confidence that I'm able to, you know, even get myself above water here. I've got no confidence. Forget about self-confidence. But even there, 
even there. The answer is a gospel way of confidence to say, I might not have what it takes to get through these hard times, but I know who does. And to the best of my abilities, I'm going to clench on as hard as I can to the hand of God as he pulls me through these hard times. Through the season, this difficulty that I'm going through, my confidence is ultimately in him. See, friends, we've got to become a people, as people of faith, as people of God, who learn to adjust our confidence from self to him, from no, self, no confidence to great confidence, supreme confidence in what God is able to do. Lastly, we need to see the bigger picture. We need to see the bigger picture. You know, oftentimes, I don't know about you, but when I face hardships in my life, my perspective gets real small. My perspective gets real small. All I see is the difficulty that's in front of me, the challenge that's in my way, right? Like the, the trial that I'm undergoing, that's all I see in hard times and it becomes real easy to lose sight of anything outside of that moment. And when that happens, we adopt this very small-minded mentality. Maybe you've experienced this before. Maybe you've seen this in your friends' lives or in the people's lives around you. We begin to adopt this very small, narrow-minded mentality that says, life sucks, this is the way it is, and I don't see it getting any better. Right? And then, and then we fall into sort of this, this spiraling effect of... of, of you know, just despair, hopelessness, right? Like this, what started as a hard situation has all of a sudden become an impossible situation because our perspective just gets real small and all we see is that thing that's in front of me. But friends, it's in those very moments we need to see the bigger picture, the bigger spiritual reality that's at play. We need to see what God is up to outside of our hardships. Better yet, what God is up to in the midst of our hardships. I want you to notice how this passage ends. This passage ends with Paul saying to the Ephesians, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Which is your glory. You see, for Paul, you got to understand the salvation for the Gentiles was far more important than the suffering he was enduring. The salvation for the Gentiles was far more important than the suffering he was going through. To him, the good here far outweighed the bad. He's basically saying here, hey guys, don't sweat it. Don't sweat it. I, I, I like, I, I'm going through some hard times. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm under house arrest. Things aren't looking too good. I'm not sure what the outcome is going to be. But, but hear me. They pale in comparison to you guys coming to know the beauty and the mysteries of the gospel. My situation sucks. Yes, indeed. I acknowledge that. I see that. But don't sweat it. Don't sweat it. I would much rather have you come into a saving knowledge of who Jesus is and get to know the heart of the Father for you than you being grieved about my situation because I'm not grieved here. Yes, I'm going through some hard times. You see, that is the fundamental difference between someone who has a narrow perspective and says, life sucks, this is the way it is, and it ain't going to get any better, to someone who sees the bigger picture, the bigger spiritual reality that is at play, and is able to say, this is what God is up to. And so, yeah, I'm going through some suffering. I'm imprisoned. 
But don't sweat it. You see, when your eyes are on the bigger picture of what God is up to, all of a sudden, the hardships of your life begin to shrink and shrivel up into the background. All of a sudden, this thing that becomes an impossible situation just kind of fades into the background in light of what God is doing in your life. You want to know how to develop a healthy theology of hardship? You get super clear on your purpose because purpose always trumps hardships. You properly adjust your confidence in God's ability and not yours. And you set your eyes on the bigger picture of what God is up to in this particular season of your life. That's what Paul did. And I don't know, it seemed to work for him. (laughs) It seemed to work out for him. Friends, we need a healthy theology of both grace and hardship because you want to know something? When you live your life committing to stewarding God's grace, when you live your life committing to be a minister of God's grace in the world, just telling you right now, you're going to face hardships. You're going to find yourself swimming upstream. You're going to find yourself cutting against the grain. Living in this world as a minister of God's grace is countercultural, it's counterintuitive, and it's not always popular. And it brings unique challenges into our lives, which is why a healthy theology of grace will almost always require a healthy theology of hardship. The two go hand in hand. And that's what Paul is trying to show us here. Though I'm a prisoner in Christ, I've been called to administer God's grace to you Gentiles. And I'm going through this hardship, but this hardship will not uproot me. But I'm grounded because I'm clear on my purpose. I know where my confidence lies, and I'm able to see the bigger picture, the bigger picture of what God is doing, his hand at work in my life. Friends, I know that's much easier said than done. Because I know that there are days when you just can't see what the crap God is up to. Amen? Like, you just don't know. You're trying to see the bigger picture. You're trying to see the bigger spiritual reality. You're trying to to see what God is up to, but some days it's just hard. And you know what? Paul had those days too. But then those moments, you got to go back to that adjusting your confidence. My confidence is not in my ability to perceive that my situation, to perceive God's hand at work. My confidence is in God's good character. Because who he says he is, is indeed true. And in time, I will see that come to pass. Adjust our confidence in him. I'm going to invite the worship team forward. And um, as they get ready to close us out in this one final song, I'd love to ask you to do some business with the Lord here this morning before we scatter about and go back to our wherever we came from and then wherever we need to get to. I'd love to just take a moment and and do some heart work and some business with the Lord. Maybe today, friends, I, I, don't, I don't know where all of us are coming in from, but, but maybe today, I don't know, maybe you need a more robust theology of grace. Maybe for you, you you've always seen your life as, I'm saved by the grace of God, and hallelujah, that's it. You know? But may, I don't know, maybe today you're starting to see that perhaps that's not the end of my story. Maybe my story starts with, I'm saved by grace, hallelujah, God is good. But maybe today God is asking you to step into this, this theology of grace where now you are called to be a minister, a, a conduit 
a, a, a distribution hub of grace, of God's grace in your life, through your life. Maybe you're, for the first time today, you're, you're asking the questions, maybe, maybe my theology of grace is unfinished. Maybe I, I, I understood the grace of God in part, but, but just maybe God might be wanting to develop Develop a, a greater, deeper theology of grace in your life where he is now calling you to say, as freely as you have received, my child, would you now freely give? Give. I can't tell you what that looks like for you. I can't tell you how to do that. All I can say is God has gifted you. God has wired you. God has uniquely positioned every single one of you on this campus for this season of life for the glory of God. So what does that look like? I don't know. That's where you need to do some business with the Lord. Maybe today you're going through some hardships. You're going through some trials. And your, your theology of hardship might feel frail and, and, and weak and paper thin. Maybe, maybe today God is wanting to, to do a deeper work of forming a, a healthy theology of hardship in your life so that you know that the hardship that you're going through right now is not for nothing. How many of you know in the hands of God, every hardship has a purpose? In the hands of God, in the economy of God, every trial that we face in this life has reason has purpose that we might not be able to clearly articulate in this moment, but by God's grace in his perfect time, we will at some point. And so maybe today you're saying, God, I, I don't know. I need, I need to get clear on my purpose. I'm not sure. I'm not sure of my why, which, which could be the reason why we get rattled at every twist and turn of life. Maybe today you're saying that. My confidence is all screwed up. I, I, I just, I'm not sure that my confidence really lies in, in God's ability and what he's able to do. Maybe today you're saying, I've lost sight of the bigger picture. I'm having a hard time seeing what God is up to. Friends, I want to pray for you here right now as, as we go to, to prayer, that God would give us the grace to navigate these roads well and these tensions well.